We decided to wear our Zoom Sunday best business on top and pajamas on bottom. Bye. Bye. And we have certainly missed worshiping and fellowshipping with you in person these last six weeks. Um, but we wanted to say how much we have enjoyed being a part of our community group. We've been a part of a community group for at least three years, the same one. And although we haven't been able to meet physically uh, because of the social distancing, we have been meeting weekly to study Second Peter and pray together. And it has been such a blessing. We love our small group. It's been something to look forward to during this shutdown. And we've had the added treat of having Chuck and Carol Marzon, who have recently moved right outside of Charlotte, uh, to join us. As a matter of fact, Chuck is hosting us on his Zoom. And um, it, that's been a real pleasure. After we met the last time, I just exclaimed, our group just loves the Word of God so much. And that is just such a joy and because of that we've seen people in our group we've seen each other growing in Christ and growing in spiritual gifts and exercising them the ones that God has given us and that's just a beautiful thing to see hello Christ Community Church we're David and Elizabeth Parks one of the ministries we've really enjoyed is our small group We've been together for a little over four years, meeting twice a month in our home. And with the social distancing, we haven't been able to meet, but we've been able to Zoom with our small group every week. We enjoy the fellowship, prayer, and Bible study now every week through Zoom, and we get to see each other. And it's really good because, um, well, it hasn't been really good. But, <laughs> because because but normally... I get to cook and bake for my small group, and now I'm just cooking just and baking for us. And that's okay. We eat all of it. <laughs> we eat in front of the small group. <laughs> we really look forward to all getting together soon. Can't wait for this crisis to be over and look forward to seeing everyone. My name is Hannah. I was an elementary education and behavioral studies major at UNCW. Um, at the beginning of my junior year, Sharon came to me with this really awesome idea to start a community of educators here at our church. And so Sharon invited some of her fellow educators and I started inviting some of the girls from my classes. And just speaking from the side of the group that is still in college, these women have been such an encouragement to us and have just really graciously walked alongside us and taught us what it looks like to love and serve our students and their families well in a public school setting. These women have just supported and encouraged and prayed over me every step of the way, even through Zoom calls during this weird quarantine time. And I'm just really, really thankful for a community of women that have taught me what it looks like to serve and to 
pour into people younger than me, and I know that I will take these skills with me next year. Thank you. Good morning and welcome to this week's virtual worship service. We're going to sing a couple songs for you guys. If you're able to stand up, that's great. If not, you can sit down and sing with us. The first song is Great Are You, Lord.
Hello, Christ Community Church. Hope you're doing well. We are in this series at first in First Peter. At the very end of the book, Peter talks to elders, and he talks about the elders being shepherds of the souls of the sheep. And so I can tell you that it's uh, frustrating to be a shepherd that can't see a sheep. That's a that's a mighty challenge for Pastor Paul. So I'm just looking at you today and say I love you. I'm praying for you. If you need anything, if you need if you're if you need help physically, if you need help spiritually, if you're lonely, you know, please reach out to me. Reach out to an elder. Reach come call the church office, and uh, please don't don't sit by yourself in need without reaching out to us because we do want to help you shepherd you in any way that we can. I want to make a couple of uh, quick comments here. Number one, at the end of the sermons, uh, we're going to have questions. And so a lot of you all have said one of the great things about watching it at home is you've been able to sit around and talk to people uh, that you're watching it with uh, about the points of application. So they'll be there, and we want to encourage you to just take a few minutes, especially if you're, you're the dad in a family. We want you to just stop and, and ask some questions to your family and see what kind of feedback they had about what Peter was uh, trying to help us with today. Uh, giving has continued to really be uh, tremendous, so I want to say thank you for that. Many of you have migrated to online giving or you continue to give uh, by text to give or by mail, so thank you all for that. Uh, we are right now working through different scenarios about restarting the church. And obviously, the first thing that we're waiting on is for the governor. He's got to make a decision, and we're abiding by whatever um, outline that he has. So we're imagining that we could be together sometime in June, but it's very contingent on how things roll out in the next month. But as that begins to happen, we're probably going to have another live stream event, another congregational meeting that we'll be unpacking some things that will help you get ready for returning. Um, and... We would, I would just ask you for, to pray for wisdom because there are lots of different questions. It seems like every time we ask a question, there's five more questions to, to try to answer about that one thing. So we have a health team that's led by Wendy Holdsworth who's uh, trying to examine the building and how we could come back together in the, in the most healthy way for everybody. And so just pray for us. And if you have any ideas, you've heard anything from other churches, please send it our way to Carly and and we'll incorporate that as we move forward. I love you guys. I look forward to seeing you soon, and I hope you have a great Sunday. Good morning, Christ Community Church. My name is Shelley Thomas, and I am excited to be with you this morning for the reading of God's Word. I wish I was staring out on your faces instead of at this screen, but it is still a privilege to be together. Today's scripture reading comes from 1 Peter chapter 2, and we'll be reading together verses 1 through 12. So please join me for the reading of God's word. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, 
The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. There's a story about this guy who's walking down the street and he falls into a hole. And the, the sides are so steep he can't get himself out of the hole. And he sees a guy walking by, turns out to be a doctor, and he says, Hey, hey, can you help me out? Can you help me out? I'm, I'm falling into this hole. So the doctor writes a prescription, throws it down in the hole, and, and walks on by. Then a second guy, who happens to be a priest, walks by the hole. And the guy looks up and says, Father, can you help me out? I'm, I'm stuck in this hole. And so the priest writes down a prayer and throws it in the hole and walks on by. And then the third guy, who turns out to be a friend, a guy named Joe, walks by the hole. And the guy in the hole says, Joe, Joe, I'm down here. I'm stuck in the hole. Can you help me out? And Joe immediately jumps down in the hole. And his friend says, you idiot, you jumped down in the hole. Now we're both stuck in the hole. And he says, yeah, but I've been down in this hole before and I know the way out. And it's such a, a great story about a friend who knows the way out. He's been stuck in a hole, and he knows how to get people out of a hole. And when we come to Peter, Peter is a guy who's been stuck in a lot of holes. And he's the kind of friend you want when you're stuck in a hole because he's going to jump down in the hole, and he's going to help you out. He's going to lead you, way, lead you out. Ever since Easter, we've been uh, looking at the resurrection and the results of the resurrection. And for Peter, the resurrection changed everything. It didn't just change the fact that he had eternal life. He realized that Jesus was outside the tomb holding out life, real life, right now for anybody who would come by and take it. And so Peter, his life changed at the resurrection. The direction, the landscape of his life completely changed. And so now he has moved on with Jesus on saying, how do I live this life now? And then Peter, he makes an excellent guide for us who are trying to follow after Jesus and ask the same kinds of questions. How do we get out of the holes that we've gotten stuck in? How do we really walk in God's way? And Peter, because of his, his failures and his faithfulness, he makes a great guide. Think about Peter, the kind of holes that he's gotten himself into in his lifetime. Peter, the, the apostle, the only one who walked on water. Imagine being able to do that. And right at the very moment where he trusts Jesus and he's walking on water, remember what he does? He takes his eyes off Jesus and he nearly drowns. And so he gets this great moment where he gets to do something nobody else has done. And then at that same moment, he's falling literally into the ocean. He's falling into a hole. Or Peter He's the one who proclaims that Jesus is the Christ. You remember that great moment. And just a few minutes later, what does Peter do? He takes Jesus aside and rebukes him and says, Hey, Jesus, you know what? You don't have a great plan here. He falls into that hole 
Do you remember Peter is the one who, at the Last Supper, he stands up and boastfully says, hey, if everybody else falls away, I'm not going to fall away. And yet what happens? Just a few hours later, he, he denies that he even knows Jesus, falls into a deep hole. And then remember when Jesus reinstates Peter, it's this beautiful event in John chapter 21 where he takes Peter aside on this seashore, this rugged old fisherman, and, and he asks Peter, do you love me? Three times just to say, Peter, you've got to be focused on me. You've got to watch me. You've got to not take your attention. That's, that's one of your problems, Peter, is you keep drifting away from me and looking at other things. And it's this very sweet moment. And as soon as Jesus is done, what's the very first thing that Peter asks? Or Peter says, hey, hey, what about John? <laughs> I mean, this whole beautiful moment where Jesus is trying to say, Peter, focus on me. What is Peter focusing on? He's focusing on John. He's, he's falling back in these same holes. So what I want to say is Peter is a wonderful God. He, he's had a lot of failures. He's experienced a lot of grace from Jesus. He knows how to walk out of holes. And so in his book, in the book of 1 Peter, he's basically saying, hey, this is how you walk out of holes. You're going to have, or this is how you avoid holes that you might see along the way as you walk with Jesus. And he's giving us different pieces of advice each chapter. And so today we find ourselves in chapter 2, and there's two things that Peter wants us to think about. One is how should we live with each other? How should we live in a church community? We're, we're, we've been born again and now we're in this new family. Well, how do we even live in this new family? It's unfamiliar to me. So Peter gives us some advice. And secondly, how do we live in the world? Now, I've been in the world, but now I've been called out from the world in a way. But I still have to know how to navigate the world. And how do I do that successfully without falling in any kind of hole? So we're going to look at those two things today. First of all, how do, I, how do we begin to live with each other? And Peter addresses that in the first few verses Chapter 2, verse 1, So put away all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. These five, five holes to avoid. Like newborn infants, verse 2, Long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up to salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So let's just take this as we go through. First word, so, or therefore. Now, whenever you see that word, you know that Peter's building off something he's already said. He's going to make an application. So, so that you know this, now here's the application point. And what he's building off of is chapter 1, verse 22. If you look back at that with me, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you've been born again, not from a perishable, but an imperishable seed by living and abiding by the word of God. So here he's saying, hey, you've, you've been born again. The word of God has transformed your life. And now you're going to get into this new family, just like you've been born. You've been born into a new family. And that family displays this characteristic, sincere love to one another. That's the primary characteristic of a church community. Now, no doubt Peter is echoing Jesus' words in the upper room. You remember that event? Jesus is, has just washed all the disciples' feet in John chapter 13. 
And he, then he looks at all these 12 disciples and he looks around the table, each man in the eyes, and he, and he says this, just as I have loved you, so you must love one another. In fact, Jesus goes on to say, the world is going to know that you follow me. The world's going to know that you're my disciple by your love for one another. So this is an incredibly important characteristic that he's asking us to, to, to put on. So, so in order for this new family to love one another, Peter says, you've got to put some things away. You notice that put away, put away some old characteristics. And in the Greek, this phrase put away is supposed to bring this picture to mind. It's like taking off an old smelly coat. Imagine having an old, stained, smelly coat, maybe something you keep in your garage. And Peter's saying, hey, you know those old, smelly coats that you used to wear? You're going to have to take those off. And in the list, five different coats that you and I might be used to putting on here, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. These are old, comfortable coats that you and I were used to wearing and now, now that we've been born again, now that we're coming into this new family, we've got to take these coats off. We're going to have to put on a, a different wardrobe. Malice, the, the desire for someone to be hurt. The desire for their destruction. That kind of anger towards somebody that hopes ill will towards them. Deceit and hypocrisy, those are very similar terms. Deceit, like a, think of a decoy. It looks like the real, this, this person looks real, but then they're really a decoy. They're really a, a fake. They're a, a phony. Or hypocrisy in the Greek, that, that's the word for actor. Somebody who, who puts on a mask. I don't know if you've ever been on the internet and you've seen a little sidebar and it has stars without makeup. <laughs> Whoa! I mean, it's amazing uh, how some of these people look differently. And that's what he's saying. Hey, we have to be these people who aren't putting makeup on now as we come into the church. We're not, we're not trying to be uh, somebody that we're really not. We're not trying to be an actor. We're not trying to put on a face. It's hard to do when you come to church. Envy. Envy is a, a desire to want what others have. Or I just resent that you have certain things. Envy. Envy is a... Envy is a pot, has a potent effect on a congregation because envious people see other people as competitors or threats. If I'm envious, I'm walking in, and, and everybody here could be a competitor. Everybody here could, could be a threat or slander. I'm, I'm talking down. I'm, I'm tearing down people, mostly to build myself up, but... But I think I'm better than certain people. So when I see certain kinds of people, I, I talk down. I talk down to them. Maybe I talk down about them. So these are the old coats that Peter says, hey, everybody has these old coats in their closet. But now that you've met Jesus, now that the resurrection has, has come and changed your life right now, these are things you're going to have to put away. I recently uh, read an unusual, really an unusual interview between Lena Dunham and a lady named uh, Mary Carr, who's a poet. And Lena Dunham, Dunham was interviewing Mary Carr, and Mary Carr is a Catholic. And Lena Dunham was very curious about her faith 
And so they have this conversation, and Mary Carr is trying to explain something about her faith to Lena Dunham, and she decides to tell this story. And here's what she said. I had this amazing thing happen to me in Mass a couple of weeks ago. A guy came up to me, and I had my iPad out, and there's this thing that lets you, lets you follow the readings, the church readings. I, I'm looking at that. I'm, I'm reading it. I'm not reading my email. And this guy comes up at, from the back of the church dressed up in a coat and tie like uncle assistant principal or something. <laughs> and he says, hey, could you turn that off? And I said, excuse me? Yes, the, the light is bothering me. And I thought for a minute, I'm trying to be a Christian here. And I said, well, okay, yeah, sure, uh, yeah, I, no problem. And then this is what she said. Then I sat there and wished him dead for the entire Mass. Wonder if, what if anybody happens to have done that in a church service? Then I was walking out of the church, and this man came back up to me and said, I'm so sorry, I know something's wrong with me. I was so glad I turned it off. I got to help him feel a little bit better or whatever, feel like he had some kind of agency in the world. And, and what did it cost me, she says. For me, a lot of times I walk into Mass and I look at people and think, these aren't my people. And invariably by the end, I walk out and people look different to me. See, I think Mary Carr understands. Mary Carr understands she had to take off a coat. She had to take off this coat of, of malice. She had to take off a coat of, of slander looking down. She had to leave something outside the door that she was used to, to wearing. And my question is, what fuels someone's ability to have to deal with people who have problems? What's the answer to that? What fuels, somebody, what fuels your ability, the person who comes to church, who follows Christ, what fuels your ability to help people, to love people who've got something wrong with them? What's the answer? Grace. It's grace. You've got something wrong with you. I've got something wrong with you. And Jesus has come in and he's saying, hey, I'm going to love you even though you have something terribly wrong with you. And for Jesus, it cost him everything. And now he's saying, hey, you need to come back in. And it may cost you really nothing to turn off an iPad or it may cost you something. But you're going to be dealing with people who have something wrong with them. You might want to just turn to somebody in your house right now and say, hey, I know you have something wrong with you. But we're all doing that, and in order to do that, we have to take off these old coats and we have to put something else on. We have to put love for one another that's fueled by the cross, that's fueled by grace. So when I sit in church, I don't wish somebody ill. I don't wish that they were dead. I don't look at them and say, well, why are you here? I don't think of them as a competitor. I, I don't think of them as a threat. They're my new family. And so just a question as we, we think about this first point. When you walk into church, now it's been a few weeks, but what's going through your mind? Do you know? I mean, do, when you walk in, is you see somebody and there's some kind of anger. Somebody like, why are they here? Is there some sort of competition or threat that you feel? I wonder if uh, two high school students walk in, if they're, 
automatically you begin to think about this person as a threat or a competitor. If, if two moms of young children walk in and you see another mom and the way they're operating, does it feel like they're a competitor or a threat? Two business people. I just wonder if you walk into church, are you, how are you feeling about the congregation? Are you feeling like they're my new family? I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. I can't believe that I get to be a part of the family. So I'm going to reach out in love towards one another. Now, this is going to be quite a challenge, especially as we come back to Christ Community Church, hopefully in the next several weeks. Because at some point, somebody's going to come in and they're going to want everybody to wear a mask. And then somebody's going to come in and say, I don't think anybody should wear a mask. There's going to be all kinds of grades of the way people feel about the virus. And it's really going to be a great opportunity for you, for me, to show grace to put off old coats and come in with a a new attitude of grace and love for one another. So how should we we live in in a community? We've got to take off some old coats. We've got to put on the grace and love of Christ as we come towards each other. How do we live in the world? Chapter 2, verse 11. Beloved or friends and and feel the, the passion that Peter has. I'm urging you. I'm urging you as sojourners and exiles to, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles, the world, the outside world, honorable, honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they will have seen your good deeds and glorify God on the day of his visitation. So this is Peter's turning his attention to say, you need to make sure you have the right kind of conduct towards the world. And instead of taking this point to to go through another list of passions of the flesh that you might need to take off, and certainly there is that kind of list, I'd rather focus on you and how you see yourself. So that's my question here. How, How do you view yourself? How do you define reality? Let me explain what I mean. Peter pulls out two vivid PowerPoint pictures. One, you are sojourners and exiles, or some versions say aliens and exiles. Do you see yourself as an alien or an exile traveling through this world, or do you see yourself as a citizen? How do you see yourself? One writer, and I love this, he prefers the word migrant. He prefers the word migrant. And this is what he said. If you're migrating, then you're on the road to another home. The road is never home. While you're on the road, you might have a wonderful spiritual experience, but these experiences are only postcards from home. I love that. You're on a road, and yes, you're going to have some great experiences, but all these experiences, they're just postcards from home. And then he concludes to help, to encourage you to keep moving forward. So how do you see yourself? you see yourself as an alien? Do you see yourself as an exile? Or are you trying to be a citizen of this world? Now Peter remembers, he remembers being on the road with Jesus. And he remembers one time in Matthew chapter 19 where a young wealthy man comes up to Jesus and he's asking Jesus as he walks alongside how can I get eternal life? What a, what a great question. This guy wants to know. He feels like there's something out ahead or beyond him that he at least has an interest in. 
And Jesus tells him this. Now, oh look, go sell everything you have, and then you can join me and, and these other guys on the great migration home. What an offer. Don't, don't be possessed by your possessions. Don't try to be a citizen in this world. You're asking a great question. You're, you could join the great migration home right now, but you just need to sell those things that you have really considered your treasure. And, of course, we, we know what happens. The man was possessed by his possessions. He didn't want to see himself as a migrant. He wanted to see himself as a citizen and he somehow wanted to be a citizen of this world and yet have eternal life. And Jesus said that, you know, that's not possible. You've got to see yourself as an alien, as a sojourner, not a citizen, as a migrant. And you're, you're making your way home. So how do you see yourself in this world? Second PowerPoint picture that Peter pulls out here is, are you at war? You notice that? These things, these passions of the flesh, he says, war against your soul and I just wonder if you think you're at war with the passions of the world and the passions of your flesh are you at war or you're on a waltz I mean you're you're, you're keeping like a, a safe social distance from uh this evil this passion but but you never quite let go of it maybe you try to fling it away at some point but you never quite let let go all the way because you might want to pull it back in to have rescue your soul in some empty place. So some of us are on just a waltz with our passions. And Peter says you you got to be at war. He understands that you have to be at war. He remembers Jesus talking about this at the Sermon on the Mount. Remember what he says? If your eye causes you to sin tear it out. I mean, I'm imagining Peter at this moment sitting there going, what? If my eye causes me to sin, tear it out. And then he says, yeah, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Why? It's so much better to be a migrant and to get all the way home, even if you're missing an eye or a hand, even if you're missing some citizenship of this world, than to miss out on home. So Peter understands it's a war. Jesus understands it's a war. I wonder if you understand it's a war. I wonder if you and I understand that we're really going to have to put some things to death finally and get on this road home. There's a, there's a gruesome story in Judges chapter 4 and 5. It's about a very wicked ruler named Sisera. And he's known for having 900 iron chariots. It's very cruel to the people of Israel, and after 20 years of oppression, the people of Israel cry out, and their cry is answered by one of the most famous judges, a woman named Deborah. And Deborah lures Sisera into this river valley to go to war with the army of Israel. And the reason she lured them in is she knew that God would would send a flood and the river would swell and these chariots would get stuck in the mud. And so all the advantage that Sisera had would not be an advantage for him. And the Israelites would descend down the mountain. And this is what it says, That day all the army of Sisera fell by the sword. Not one man was left. They were all swept away by the river. Except except Sisera. He escapes. 
And when I read this, I, I want to ask myself, why did God allow Sisera to escape? Well, I'm not sure, but he does escape. He runs into the hills until, he, until he's exhausted, and he comes across this sort of single, single tent who's lived in by a woman named Jael, J-A-E-L. And he comes racing up to her exhausted and said, please hide me and, uh, and don't tell anybody that I'm here. And so she agrees. She brings him into the, to her tent. She gives him something to drink. He lays down and falls asleep. She covers him with a blanket. And then she goes outside. And when he, he, she finds out he's sound asleep, she gets a hammer and a tent peg. And this is what it says, I quote, She drove the peg into his temple until it went all the way into the ground. That's that's gruesome. But J.L. wasn't playing. She understood Sisera could reconstitute an army. She understood Sisera could come back and oppress her people. She understood that every bit of this army had to be put down. And I wonder if God allowed Sisera to escape just to test Israel to say, are you really serious all the way to the end with your sin? Or are you just interested in waltzing with it and you're, you want to get rid of most of it, but there's one little ember of anger, one little ember of materialism, one little ember of pride, one little ember of lust, one little ember that you'd like to keep alive just in case you need it again. Is there some passion of the flesh that you need to you already know you're at war with and it's time to take out a tent peg and nail it all the way into the ground that's how you're going to be able to navigate through this world in the right kind of conduct is to say there are just certain things when I'm inside the community, I take off these old clothes. When I'm outside this community, I don't put on these passions of the flesh anymore. I've put those things away. Well, Peter, he's, he's fallen in a lot of holes. He's personally experienced Jesus jumping down in the hole and saving his soul, just as many of you have. And now Peter is an excellent guide to help us know how to, how to live this life out as a human being, how to live it out inside the community, how to live it out outside the community. And I wonder if there, this, this day, if there's some part of your old wardrobe that you need to put away, some old coat that really smells bad, but you put it on occasionally, and it's just time to take it off. It hinders the relationships you can have in the church. Is there some kind of uh, passion of the flesh that you need to drive a stake through? And you drive a stake through it because you see yourself as a migrant. This isn't my home. I'm going home. I've gotten on the road with Jesus, and I'm going home with him. Let's pray. Lord, we're so, so grateful for your grace that really you're the friend who jumped down in the hole and has led, you have led us home. But you also provide uh, people, you provide wisdom, people who've been on the road to help us know how to continue to live in a way that's 
glorifying to you. And we're thankful for Peter. We're thankful for his many failures. We're thankful for your faithfulness to him and his kindness to warn us about holes. And I pray, Lord, as we um, find ourselves scattered in our homes, many of us anxious to, to come back to church, that we would, would think now, what are the things in my closet I need to put away? As we re-engage the world, what's, what's conduct that needs to have a, um, a tent peg driven all the way through it? so that my conduct is honorable and I glorify you. Would you strengthen your people with your wisdom and your words today? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Go in peace.